0: It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement. Investing. Taxes. You've got financial questions. He's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Welcome to the show. This is Brian. I am a certified public accountant, certified financial planner, and fee-only wealth manager by week, and I am the host of The Money Guy Show, and thank you for joining me today. If you're brand new to the show, maybe you're listening to us on Business Radio 1160, the CFO, or maybe you're joining us on our worldwide audience of downloading us through iTunes or directly from our website at money-guy.com. That's money-guy.com, and I want to thank you for coming on board with me. Today, we're going to get into something very important. If you listen to last week's show, we talked about how retirement was in crisis. And I actually got quite a bit of feedback from you guys on that topic. And, and it's, re- remember, it's a recap from a show I did about a year ago. And I thought it was so important to bring back the topic and talk about how important it is to be saving for retirement because I think a lot of us are going to wake up. And realize that retirement is upon us, especially the baby boomers out there, and wonder what in the world have we done with our life because we're going to have to work until the day we die. And I want to make sure that I equip you with the tools so that that is not the situation you find yourself caught in. I want to do everything in my power to make sure that I am enabling you with the tools to make the right decisions for you and your family. To Where you can hopefully approach retirement and walk out and smile and know that everything um, that you did everything you were supposed to you were disciplined. Uh, and you were determined to do what was right, and you made the decisions that brought you into that true financial independence. And the fulfillment that comes with that, that's where happiness comes from. You see all these studies on happiness and everything else. I truly believe happiness comes from fulfillment of doing the things that most are not willing to do, going that road that is less traveled. So if you're wondering, once again, who I am, my name is Brian Preston. I've already kind of given you the credentials. I'm a CPA, a CFP, a partner at a fee-only financial planning firm on the south side of Atlanta. And the way this all came about was is that I felt guilty that my firm has had the success that we have um, minimum investment requirements. We do require half a million dollars to work with our firm and I always felt guilty about that because it's the old adage that the rich get richer. And um, you know, I mean, you had all these people out there working who might be on the road to wealth but were not getting the advice that they really were deserving. They were having to go to the people who were more interested in probably selling them products and not putting their interests first. And I wanted to go ahead and give you guys an avenue to open that up. And that's this show started as a hobby where I just started recording a podcast because I am kind of a... Uh, a geek when it comes to gadgets. I love buying new, the latest and greatest gadget out there, and I love my iPod, so I started doing this as a hobby, and as you can see, it's kind of um, taken a life of its own, and and we've become quite popular out there on iTunes. We do have a worldwide audience. Last month, we were downloaded in over 60 countries. Um, We've always been on the featured front page of iTunes Business pretty much since um, we started this thing, and we have since been discovered, and been on Business Radio 1160 now for, I guess, about three or four weeks, and I've also still been in discussion with the Fox Business Network that will go live on October 15th as being one of their contributing personalities, and I hope that comes about. I talked to an associate producer about two days ago, and um, that's some pretty exciting stuff. But what we're going to be talking about today is we're going to be talking about Really mastering the world of investing. Because I talked about the whole retirement issue last show. And now we're going to be taking it a step further and telling you how we can go about turning that 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 fear that you have to realize that you need to be saving more money. Now that you've saved that money, once I get you on the right path, what do you do with that money? Um, and that's how we're going to help you with mastering the world of investing. I do want to answer one piece of feedback. I got some um, listener email And if you do want to email the show, it's Brian, B-R-I-A-N, it's brian at money-guy.com. You can email me directly, and I I try to respond to some emails, but please don't get mad at me if I don't respond to them all. It is not uncommon for we get 10 to to 20 emails a day, and we, um, as you can imagine, we just can't get to them all. And I feel guilty, especially when some of you write up these three- and four-page lengthy Detailed questions because I try to get to as much as I can, and I don't want you to to think that I'm not doing right by you. But it but it is tough. But one of the things I do want to answer is a few of you have written me emails about you know if you have a 401k plan that's not that great. You know I've told you about retirement in crisis that you need to be saving 15 to 20 percent of your gross wages was the rule of thumb since we don't have defined benefit pensions. I did get picked on because I was using the wrong terminology or I was commingling. Um, the, the the pension word too much, but defined benefit pensions are not really around so much. So, so it's more on your shoulders. So a lot of you have 401Ks, and when you go review your 401Ks, you have not been too pleased with some of the investments that you have available. They either have high fees, poor performance, or lack of diversification options. So if you get caught in one of those situations, let me give you this advice, and then we're going to move on to the mastering the world of investments. If you get caught in that type of situation where you have kind of a cruddy 401K, I would recommend that you contribute to at least get and maximize that company match because that really is free money. If your employer is offering you a company match, do whatever you've got to do to get that free money. I don't care how bad your retirement plan is. um, You can find an index fund or something in there, even though it might, instead of being charged – you know the the ten basis points are point one zero percent, like most index funds out there. That you can buy yourself. It might charge one one and a half percent, but it's still going to be okay because you're going to have um, that free money that your employer is going to be doing. So make sure you get that minimum um, investment involvement so that you can get that full company match from your employer. And then after you do that, if your income limits are low enough, um, meaning that you're you know below that that one you know. 50 to 160 range, and you can do a Roth IRA still. You want to after you do the employer doing enough to get the employer match. You want to come back and do a Roth IRA, and if if you have um, if you're working and your spouse is not working, you can do a Roth IRA for them too, even though they don't have earned income. So don't let that stop you. Max out those Roth IRAs because they do grow tax free completely. Sure, you don't get a tax deduction right now, but they do get tax free growth. Forever and as I've talked about in previous podcasts, tax rates are at historical lows right now. They're not going to be cheaper. If you look at the obligations that our government has with Social Security, Medicare, and now we see some candidates are even talking about, you know, taking some of the health care to where it's more of a government function, you can see that this is going to be where the government is taking on such an obligation that really the only way they can, gar- you know, bring in the money is through taxation. And you can, you can pretty much know that if you put that money in the Roth, at least, you know, when they do raise tax rates, you can kind of, you know, stub your nose at them or, or laugh all the way to the bank that you've got completely tax-free growth in that Roth IRA. If you have extra money left over at that point, You kind of have a decision to make um, on whether you just go taxable account where you take advantage of the 15% dividends rate, tax rate, and the 15% capital gains rate, or you can go back to your 401k and and max that completely out to get to that 15 to 20% of your gross wages. So, those that's I just want to give you that real quick overview because I got a number of emails and I wanted to make sure I, I put you guys on the right path with the right. Decisions to be made there, because that's probably a pretty common question that I want to go and answer for you guys. But let's jump right in. The first thing, mastering the world of investing, we need to be talking about some basic definitions. First, one of the most important tools to, to maximizing investments in the returns is diversification. And I know we all give a, you know, we, we, Gloss over, you know, when you hear some of these terms, but you really need to pay, pay attention because diversification is the idea of spreading your money across many different types of investment classes. Um, you, you can choose to diversify your investment holdings. It really does, if you do choose to reduce your investment holdings, it truly does reduce your risk tremendously. You think about that bad stock market we had from 2000, 2001, and 2002. If you'd done some diversification, you could have seen. That you could really have minimized your losses dramatically, and, and not had that roller coaster of a ride that, that many of you probably had, or at least many of your peers had, if if they weren't doing the right thing. So you need to make sure that you're doing everything in your power to take advantage of diversification. Part of de- determining your the right Amount of diversification. I am going to do a a a show, a Money Guy show, and hopefully the next month or so on effective asset allocation because I've had some requests for that to revisit that topic. I'm going to do it. I'm trying to equip you guys, build you up from the foundation up, so that this this show can cover people who have a basic understanding of investments plus the people who are, are. You know, pretty much experts um, or hold themselves out to be experts. I want to make sure this is entertaining for everybody. But part of diversification, you also have to take into account your risk tolerance. Um, An investor's ability to withstand losses caused by one or more of the different types of risk is is your risk tolerance. That's that's how, how you handle when the market takes a drop or has a correction where it drops at 10%, 15% if it's headed towards a bear market, what do you do? Because you want to make sure you're not making those emotional decisions where you miss out on the maximum potential investment return by jumping in when everybody else is scared or at least staying pat with what you've got um, instead of doing that emotional sell at, at the worst time where you buy high and sell low. Remember, we're trying to be good investors, where we do the the basic rule of thumb that we've all been taught since we were children, which was buy low and sell high. That's what we want to do. And a risk tolerance does directly impact what type of portfolio and diversification you have. And it is also determined by how much time you have out there in the marketplace. Uh, A person who has 10 to 20 years to retire is going to have a much higher risk tolerance than somebody who might be retiring in four, five, six years from now because their their time frame is just not long enough. Um, you also hear the term when you're talking about investing, bull market. What is a bull market? A bull market is really a prolonged period of time when prices are rising in the financial market. Faster than historical averages, and bull markets really can happen as a result of an economic recovery, and that's what we saw in 2003. You saw in 2000, you know, we had 2000, 2001, 2002, where the market really was really off its rocker. It dropped. It's a roller coaster ride for everybody. 2002, around October, things started looking good. We saw that inventory numbers were really, really low. So when inventory numbers are really low for companies as well as they haven't spent any money on improving their operations or buying new equipment because they're you know, tightening up their belt straps to make sure that they you know, can weather this bad market that they're in where they're not getting business, all of a sudden they wake up and they go, wait a minute, we've got all these orders starting to come in. We haven't done any capital improvements. We haven't bought new equipment. Our inventory levels are super low. We've got to start buying. So all of a sudden you see everybody Ba Ba, and that's when you get into that period of an economic recovery and that's usually some of the best returns out there is right after that worst year where everybody really just and I have no other word to say but throws it up they just you know they are so Sick of losing money, and that's what we had in 2002, where everybody's just like, "God, I can't believe I was this stupid to invest in this stock market. Can't believe my brother-in-law told me about that stupid hot stock that now I've lost Junior's college fund on." You had all these situations happening, happening, and then in 2002, at the end of the year, everybody, after they had thrown up and decided they couldn't invest anymore. They, they had purged themselves of doing stock and They said, I'm never doing this again. That was the maximum potential opportunity for getting into the, the marketplace. And that's why we saw in 2003, because of an economic recovery, the market did incredible numbers. It was the high 20s. We haven't seen that stuff since the, since the 90s. Um, it Also, a bull market can be driven by an economic boom or investor psychology. A bear market is a prolonged period of time when prices are falling. It's usually marked by a price decline of 20% or more in key stock market indices for a recent peak over at least a two-month period. Remember, a bear market has to take longer than two months. Otherwise, it's really considered a correction. Bear markets usually occur when the economy is in a recession and unemployment is high or when inflation is rising quickly. So that's something we need to be concerned about. As I've already mentioned, a market correction, another term that you need to, to know in your data bank of, of investor terms, a market correction is a drop of at least 10%, but not more than 20%, because that's when you get into bear market territory a correction is typically considered beneficial for the long-term health of the the financial markets because prices right before corrections typically have risen very quickly, and the drop puts them back on more realistic levels. So these are some of the basic definitions that you just need to know to understand how to, to set yourself up to be an effective investor. When we come back from the break... We're going to be talking about basic goal planning. And when I talk about basic goal planning, I want you to figure out if you're a short-term, long-term investor. Um, I also want to talk about the different investment options. I'm going to give you the terminology um, and, and give you the definitions of what some of these basic things are. Like, What is a stock? What's a bond? What's a mutual fund? What's an exchange-traded fund? And how do you use things, these things and, and put them in, in context of the risk that each of them holds for for the average investor so tune in with me come back in a second and um, we are going to continue educating you if you can give me one hour a week i am going to change your life this is brian preston your host of the money guy show if you enjoy the information that i share on the money guy show then you'll love my print newsletter the wealth report the wealth report is the custom quarterly newsletter that i send my wealth management clients and i'm making it available to you for the affordable price of $29 a year, you can sign up at the Money Guy website. That's money Money-guy, guy.com. Money guy, G U Y.com. This quarter's wealth report covers how the weak dollar has affected U.S. investors, why you should avoid direct debits, avoiding mistakes on IRA rollovers, an update on college savings plans, and eight ways to save on life insurance. All this great information is packed into the third quarter wealth report. So what do you have to lose? You probably spend more than $29 on coffee each month. So take me up on this incredible offer and sign up today at the Money Guy website. Once again, that is money-guy.com. Money-guy.com. $29 a year. Do it now. Money-guy.com. Money-guy.com. And we're back. This is Brian the Money Guy. Remember, certified public accountant, certified financial planner, and fee-only wealth manager by day. And I'm here trying to help you restore order to your financial chaos, and we're going beyond common sense. There's so many financial hosts out there. That, that are trying to tell you how to get out of debt. And sure, that's important, but I think that that's common sense. If you can't spend less than you make, you're never going to be financially independent. And that's why I say the Money Guys Show is going beyond common sense. I've actually got the training and background to give you the knowledge that can equip you to make the right financial decisions so that you can walk out one day and be financially independent. Pick up your marvels, go home. Don't work unless you really want to. That's my goal for you guys, and I think we can do it. Getting back to what we're talking about today, we're talking about mastering the world of investing. As you know from last week, we talked about how retirement was in crisis, how people are not saving what they need to be saving, so that's why we've come back today, and now I'm equipping you with the tools to make the right decisions so that you can do. Um, the right things with that money that I've scared you into saving now. And that's why we're going to be talking about the investing. Last time, we, um, previous segment, we were talking about basic definitions of diversification, risk tolerance, what a bull, bear, and market correction were uh, dealing with the marketplace. And now we're going to be talking about basic goal planning. When I talk about basic goal planning, uh, let's talk about time frames here. A short-term goal is anything less than five to seven years. If you need the money in the next three to five years, do not invest the money into conventional investment areas like bonds, stocks, or real estate. You've got to stick to cash and equivalents. And and this is the part I'm I'm shocked sometimes by by what I see out there and the questions I get. And I've hit on this before in previous shows, but but I'm amazed that people who are thinking about buying a house, maybe next year, two years, three years, People thinking about buying a car, you know, in the next year and a half or even planning a wedding or or sending the kids to college. You know, these people will know this goal is coming up in the next two years. And I'll get the question of, hey, Brian, the market's been somewhat volatile the last two or three um, weeks. You know, what should I do? Because I've got this wedding coming up or I've got to buy a car or I've got a home purchase coming up. What should I do with this money I've got out there in the stock market that I was going to use for the down payment? I'm always shocked because are they insane? If you you know you're buying the house in the next three years, don't put it in the stock market. Don't put it in the bond market. I know everybody thinks bonds are super safe, but you watch. The Fed has started cutting interest rates. They did that half a point cut last week. You watch what happened to your value of your bonds, that's actually a positive thing to your existing bonds when they start dropping interest rates. But if they were going the other way with it, raising interest rates, you would be left holding the bag. And it's the same thing with the stock market, with the volatility. You don't want to save for years for a goal, and then all of a sudden right in the last year have a correction come and just take out cut your feet out from underneath you where you don't enjoy um, you know, the fruits of your long-term saving goal. So if you need that money in the next three to five years, do not put it out there in the stock, bond, real estate marketplace, because you're, you're just asking for trouble is all you're doing. What you need to do is look at the, the real safe stuff. That's your cash and equivalents. That's your... Um, You know, your your savings accounts, your money markets accounts, your treasuries, things like that. And when I'm talking about a money market, I'd like you to look at a money market that doesn't charge any fees and also has no minimums. And if you're looking for a good example, go look at Immigrant Direct, and that website's E-M-I-G-R-A-N-T direct.com. And, um, they're right now yielding 5.05%, which I think is pretty incredible. And it is fully FDIC insured and all the other good stuff that all the other banks are doing out there. And, And that's, that's a, that's an awesome opportunity. Now, I don't know how long they're going to stay above 5%, because as I mentioned already, we had a drop in the interest rates last week, and that is going to impact your savings interest rates. You know, what you're getting on savings accounts, checking accounts. Um, short-term loans, as well as your money market accounts. So think about that. If we're talking about anything long-term, I'm talking about anything greater than a seven-year holding period. Now, in investing, you don't give guarantees. That's, that's what they, you know, when they financial advisor 101, when you go through, because I was a registered rep before I was a registered investment advisory firm, you know, um, before we were SEC, I used to work as um, at a broker-dealer many, many years ago. And the thing is is that that's one of the first things they teach you. You don't guarantee anything when it deals with financial products because you just never know what's going on out there. The market's all over the place. But with all that said, I can tell you if you can give an investment seven years, especially like an equity investment, you've got a very good chance – if you go look at history and everything that's happened, that you're going to be fine. It doesn't matter if you bought in right before a recession and the market goes into a bear market. You should be okay if you can give it seven years. So anything over seven years, I would consider pretty much a a long-term horizon. So that's pretty good, you know, seven to ten years, and you should be fine on handling that long-term. Now that you've been primed, let's talk about investment options. First, stocks. Stocks are, are, are no more... Then they, they represent ownership in a public company. It's no different than if you, um, have a friend or relative or maybe even yourself, because I do attract a lot of small business owners and entrepreneur types. Uh, it's no difference if you start a company and you go incorporate. Um, with an attorney. When you go and incorporate, they will issue you shares of stock. And that's no different than a public company. It's just now instead of a few individuals owning all the shares, they have decided to go through the underwriting process and, and the investment bankers and now they make it where it's an open public company where anybody can go out there and buy the shares of their stock. So when you buy stock you're basically buying just a few shares of that company. You you are an owner of the company. It's an ownership side. Bonds. Bonds are basically a chance for you to lend your money to either the government or company. Um, you, know, you can do mortgage bonds. You can do corporate bonds. You can do government bonds. There's all type of bonds, and they all do different type of things. It's basically you lending your money to these individuals or institutions for them to make use of. And, and the reason you do that is because if you lend them this money, just like you, when you borrow money on a car loan or a mortgage or anything else, you always have to pay interest. It's the opposite with bonds. So if you lend people money, you're counting on them to pay you interest as well as the principal over a predetermined amount of time. And that's where you're getting your income is from, from that interest. It is – I should say – when I give you these definitions, I should say that going back to the tax side of things, it, it is interesting with some of these new tax law changes – that that happened a few years ago stocks are more tax favored now they the dividends that are issued by companies are taxed at 15% the long term capital gains if you can own a company over 12 months that's considered a long term for tax purposes i know that's different from the long term period i told you but 12 months is long term for tax purposes and you get you get you down to 15% for taxes on long term capital gains as well With, meanwhile bonds the interest is taxed at ordinary income unless it 's a municipal bond, and municipal bonds are your local governments when they issue your school system or you know any local government issues some of these bonds uh, a lot of they are tax free for federal purposes for your federal income taxes, and a lot of times they 're tax free for state if you buy them within the state that you actually file your resident tax return so for instance, example here, if I buy a Georgia bond, you know if I buy like a local school system, a henry county. Bond here, Uh, it's going to be tax-free both federally as well as statewide. So these are interesting things. Now we could get into taxes and talk about revenue bonds and and their crazy treatments, but just know that the the bonds do have some tax-favored advantages to them. But the majority of the bonds that most of us are buying out there are taxed at ordinary income tax rates. Um, Mutual funds, mutual funds are, are. You know a lot of people. You know when I'm talking to people about investing they get confused about what a mutual fund is. And a mutual fund is simply just a financial instrument. It's not really an investment in, in, in what it, it is, because it can be anything. But it's an instrument that allows a group of investors to pull their money together with a predetermined investment objective. A mutual fund can be uh, invest in stocks. A mutual fund can invest in bonds. A mutual fund can invest in real estate. A mutual fund can invest in just healthcare stocks. It can invest in sector funds. It can invest in... Uh, gold, it, it, there's no limit commodities, which is oil and gas and other, na- other natural resources. There's no limit to what mutual funds can buy. It's a basically a pooling of assets um, to allow an investor to buy into that basket of holdings. Um, the mutual fund will have a manager who's responsible for investing that pooled money into specific securities. By pooling money together in a mutual fund, investors can purchase stocks or bonds or any other type of investment with much lower trading costs than if they try to do it on their own. Another reason I like mutual funds in, in, in certain asset classes, um, including bonds, is because to have a really good diversified bond portfolio, you've got to have hundreds of thousands of dollars just devoted to bonds. And most people don't do that. You know, it's, it, Most people have a portfolio, especially like in their 401ks or in their savings you know, that they put aside for after years of, of, of stockpiling money on a month-to-month basis, they don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to devote to going to buy $25,000 of this bond, 50000 of this bond. It, you know, it's nice that they can just go buy one mutual fund and be done with it, or two or three mutual funds instead of having hundreds of different fixed-income securities. The same thing with stocks. Think about it. The S&P 500 as the name implies, is the 500 biggest companies in the United States. If you had to go buy those 500 stocks, think about all the transaction costs of going out and doing that. With a mutual fund, you can just go buy an index fund that buys those 500 biggest U.S. stocks, and you're done with one purchase and sell. It's great because you, you, it really makes things easy and allows you to get a lot of diversification for and a lot of bang for the buck without spending a ton of money. Uh, a new thing that has come about as of the 90s, the early 90s, are what's called exchange-traded funds. Exchange-traded funds are are funds that track an index, or or they they can be traded like a stock. Because ETFs are traded on stock exchanges, they can be bought and sold at any time during the day, unlike typical mutual funds. Most mutual funds, unless, you know, on the open-ended mutual fund platform – Trade at the end of the day, meaning you put your order in in the morning, you get it as of the closing price at the end of that day. That's not the case with exchange-traded funds or ETFs, as a lot of people call them. Their prices will fluctuate, fluctuate from moment to moment, just like any other stock price, and you'll have to pay a ticket charge or transaction charge as well. To, to go out and buy these things. So you want to focus on how much they cost and how much you're spending on those transaction costs. They're typically more tax efficient than normal mutual funds and they have very low operating and transaction costs associated with them. Uh, just a piece of history here, the first ETF, Exchange Trade Mutual Exchange Trade Fund, was created Was the Standard and Poor's deposit receipt the spider in one thousand, nine hundred and ninety-three? So that's just a little bit tidbit of history. If you're looking at ETFs, what they're great for is if you have a single large lump sum investment, especially in the large cap. Or sector holdings. And when I say large cap, that's like buying the SP 500 or something like that. They're great for that. They're also great for year end buying. Uh, one of the, the, the little known things about buying mutual funds at the end of the year is that it's a tax nightmare. If you buy a mutual fund at the end of the year and it's going to be issuing l- big capital gains, you know, because they, they hold those, the managers will hold those capital gains until the end of the year. You buy in, say, November or December. Right before they issue those capital gains, you will not have enjoyed any of those gains or you know appreciation of the fund, but you're going to be hit with that income, and it's going to increase your taxes dramatically. So what I always tell people to do is, if they're going to buy some of these things at the end of the year, an ETF is a great option because you can go buy this, and and, and since they distribute the income as it's earned instead of holding it and. In, in, Building it up until the end of the year, it's a great benefit if, if you're buying a large sum of investments at the end of the year. Just use an exchange-traded fund. They're also great for sector investing. You can get into some 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 sectors if you're trying to diversify your allocation, like the healthcare sector or you know gold. I mean, there's all kind of. There's no limit to really what you can do with these ETFs. There's a lot of opportunities there. Um, what they're not good for is they're not good for dollar cost averaging. And the reason I say, and when I say dollar cost averaging, I mean uh, like a systematic um, systematic investment plan where you're buying on a month-to-month basis, where you've got like a, you know, where you're, you're doing, you know, $500 to $1,000 a month into certain investments. You're not going to be able to do these as well because you have to pay that ticket charge every time you go out and do the investment. So that's not something that, most people typically want to do. So when we come back, we have to go to break. Um, When we come back, I want to talk about the dirty secrets of investing, some of the things you might not have thought about when it comes to investing. Plus, I want to give you the the advice, simple advice, but it's definitely worth thinking about as guidelines for, for handling your investments and what you need to consider when you are out there managing your money, trying to figure out how to better Um, diversify and handle the investment. So stick around. Come back with me. This is Brian Preston, the host of The Money Guy Show. We'll be right back after this. Brian Preston, one half of Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. I'm now a fee-only planner. I didn't like the whole conflict of interest that was out there with commissions. If you found out how profitable life insurance was to sell, everybody started looking like they needed life insurance. So I just took that out of the equation and got into focusing on what I was good at, which was the consulting side of giving advice, helping people learn how to make money, and that way the client doesn't feel like they're worried about me selling them products. It allows me to really build trust because I have what's also called a fiduciary responsibility and obligation to put the client's best interest even ahead of my own. What I think is the most important part of my job, educating the client. The great thing about if you're a good fee-only financial planner, you don't have to sell anybody anything. If you can educate the client, it goes much further than ever trying to sell them products. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Fee-only financial and investment advisors. Visit Preston-Cleveland.com That's Preston-Cleveland.com well, we're back for the last segment of the Money Guy Show. I am your host, Brian Preston, certified public accountant, certified financial planner, and fee-only wealth manager by day. and. Remember, we're here. I want to go over, once again, just the the basic information about the show. If you want to go check out show notes, go to money-guy.com. That's money-guy.com. You can go and, and look at our show notes and get all the links and all this information that I'm laying out there for you guys. Because I know I put a lot on you at once, and a lot of you are driving and doing other things because you're listening on Business Radio 1160 or out there on iTunes maybe while you're jogging or doing other things around the house, and you want to come back later and look at some of these links and other things, you can go out to the website and look at these links as well as look at the show notes, and you can even go and sign up typing your email address on the left-hand side of the website and get free show notes updated and sent to you every time we do go out there and do a new podcast or radio show. I also want to tell you you can sign up there for the Wealth Report, which is our print newsletter that you can um, subscribe to and get you all that great information that you've heard advertised earlier in the show. But jumping right in, I want to talk about the dirty secrets of investing, plus also how risk plays into the, the different investment types. You know, as I told you, I'm trying to build up a foundation so that you have an understanding of how to handle your finances better. And we are talking about mastering the world of investments. So if you're talking about from the risk standpoint, because remember you've got diversification plays into it, risk tolerance plays into it, and that risk tolerance – leads and helps kind of sculpt that diversification based upon your risk level, how much you can handle, as well as how long you have until retirement, as well as what your ultimate financial goals are because everybody's a little different. And when you're looking and evaluating risk, you've got to know if you if you thought about this in terms of a pyramid and I did put a graph out there on the website If you think about this in terms of a pyramid, the base and probably the safest thing out there would be your cash and equivalents. That'd be your money markets, your savings, and other things like that. If you moved up a little higher on the risk level, you've got fixed income, uh, which are bonds, your guaranteed savings options, your 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 annuities. Um, If you're doing some of those fixed annuities that you know can can you know annuitize or streamline your, your retirement income. You also got treasury bills and savings accounts and so moving up on that on that safe scale. The next thing are investment funds. That's your, your mutual funds. These type of things are a little more diversified than if you went out there and just bought stocks individually. So that's why they're a little you know a little riskier than buying bonds, but they are a little more diversified, so they're a little safer than just buying going out and buying an individual stock. The next thing speaking of on on the risk level are individual stocks and then up past that is gold and real estate and then the last thing at the top at the pinnacle of the amount of risk that you can take are art gems, and even starting your own business. One of the riskiest things out there is starting a company and being an entrepreneur, and that's why it has the great rates of return that's why there's usually. A correlation to the more risk you take, the better the rate of return.